Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Brian Peck. He is a licensed clinical social worker in Boise, Idaho. He is passionate about reducing the ongoing impacts of adverse religious experiences and helping survivors resolve religious trauma and restore vitality and meaning through body-centered therapy and trauma-informed coaching. He was raised within the conservative holiness movement, including kindergarten through 12th grade Christian education and one year of Bible college before beginning his own deconstruction journey. He enjoys connecting with nature and sharing this one life with his partner and their two kids. In the words of Mary Oliver, he is all about letting the soft animal of my body love what it loves. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's really great to be here. (laughs) We're happy to have you. I love that you include Mary Oliver. I saw that you've posted a couple of her things on Mm. your, even on your Instagram page. So uh, when did the fascination with Mary Oliver begin? I'm not even sure, but it's been um, years that I've been, you know, kind of a fan of her work. And it was was really, it was heartbreaking when she passed away uh, a few years ago. And it felt like I lost a personal friend because Mm. her her poetry speaks to you as if you're walking alongside her um, in nature. And there's just something about how, and then I learned about her own childhood trauma history And um, it just gave me a lot more appreciation for her body of work. Such an amazing human. I love that. I love that. Like poetry and that kind of word can Mm. speak to you. Everybody's so different with that. And I love, I love hearing from people that, um, that are inspired and go deeper in their, in their feels or in their deconstruction or in their healing uh, when it, when it comes to poetry, because it's something that I, I've been on and off of. So anyway, yeah. Thanks for (laughs) indulging. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So we're actually going to probably talk a lot about the things that you've posted um, on Instagram because that's how we originally Mm -hmm. connected. And so for everyone listening, um, Brian's, his Instagram handle is room to thrive. So be sure um, you check that out. But um, speaking of your Instagram, okay, so of course we like to kind of catch up with people to see where they're at right before we speak to them. You know, what are they talking about? What are they into? Mm -hmm. Right now, we absolutely adore uh, the conversation that you're having about spirituality. Um, Mm. It's something that Adam and I actually have really had a lot of conversation about recently, whether it's on, you know, just the two of us or with friends or even on several episodes now, we've, we've kind of dabbled with, with, the conversation of spirituality. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting to, to hear and read that on your story. And so what, mm-hmm. what was it that kind of sparked this conversation that you started? Yeah. So I, I, I wrote a blog post about three years ago and it was um, after a clinical training for, for therapists on, um, on religion and spirituality and kind of bringing that into the therapeutic relationship with clients and, and during that presentation, uh, the presenter um, said something that really struck me. Um, they were taking a very um, broad, kind of big umbrella approach to spirituality. And, and, and they said something to the effect of, you know, atheists and agnostics are also spiritual as well. And um, in my work with folks who um, have been harmed by religion or, or who have exited religion altogether, as well as those who have, um, you know, transition to some other form of spirituality or religion, um, the word spiritual can be kind of a a loaded word. It can be a challenging Mm -hmm. concept. 
Yeah. Um, and there's so much, so much kind of baggage uh, attached to that. And so I, I, I spoke with the presenter after um, the training just to get some more insight into, you know, their approach to spirituality. And um, it got me thinking about, um, you know, how the term spiritual also feels kind of like a concept that we want to force everyone into in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with any broad concept like that, um, at some point it becomes meaningless. If it if it describes everything, it describes nothing, you know. Right. Um, and, and also, I think I just um, wanted to give voice to some of the most stigmatized um, folks out there, um, those who are no longer are connected to religion or um, atheists, agnostics, um, and and I think we need to have just a more nuanced approach to terms like spiritual um, and maybe other ways, um, uh, other concepts that can function in, in similar ways to spiritual, uh, but don't carry as much baggage. And so, yeah, that, that was the genesis of that conversation. And, and of course, if you're following my Instagram story today, um, a lot of folks are, are weighing in on on their own perspective, um, which I just, I love kind of expanding the conversation Um yeah. So, yeah. It, it, and, and certainly I think um, the other big piece of that too is a lot of folks um, have been harmed in fundamentalist kind of religious context, um, but I'm finding more and more folks who have experienced trauma inside of spiritual communities as well. Mm. And and so I, I think, um, you know, spiritual spirituality can be a really beautiful thing for a lot of folks. Um, it can also uh, be easily exploited by um, charismatic leaders um, in spiritual communities um, equally to um, more fundamentalist um, religious communities as well. Yeah, it's definitely broad um, because I was actually, we were just speaking to a friend and she grew up without religion, I, I guess. Per, she, yeah, she grew up without religion, but she grew up in a more like spiritual mm-hmm. um kind of family dynamic and and heritage and so anyway she she was talking about a lot of the 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 trauma honestly that she has from mm-hmm. a lot of her um her childhood and she actually found religion and religion kind of saved her but now she's kind of deconstructing religion and so that's she's kind of like in this religion saved me but now religion hurt me but spirituality mm-hmm. was the first thing to hurt me so it, she's kind of in this like tough spot so it definitely is varied because then for you know, I know my personal experience and a lot of what Adam has kind of experienced is more of the religious spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I loved that you were sharing other people's responses because because it is so it is so nuanced. And you spoke yeah. uh, you asked a question, actually, that was uh, would it be more helpful to have more concepts rather than a broader concept of, uh, you know, spirituality? And mm-hmm. you, you had just mentioned that. So what is, what is more concepts look like? Yeah. So, so, so I think, um, in, in the same way that if you asked, um, you know, a thousand people about God, um, you would have, you know, a thousand different kinds of ideas about what God is. And, totally. and I think yeah. the same can be said about spirituality. And so I think, um, expanding concepts could, could include things like, um, y- you know, wonder and awe, curiosity, um, connectedness. I think all these words um, say something about what people often refer to as spiritual mm. or spirituality. Sure. I, I think also, too, just the, the realization that as humans we're, um, you know, um, pattern-seeking, meaning-making creatures. Right. Um, and so if we think about spirituality as this uh, process of constructing meaning in particular ways, um, we can then easily expand out to lots of other ways of, you know, creating meaning for ourselves. And and insofar as that works for an individual, then, you know, more power to them. Um, insofar as that makes their life more constricted or challenging or, or, or difficult, um, it might be helpful to explore other other options there. And so I, I've, I've had what I would consider... Um, spiritual experiences inside of fundamentalist Christian settings. I've had what many would consider spiritual experiences um, as as a secular person. And um, I think they share some things in common and other things aren't aren't quite the same. Um, And and so for me, as soon as we 
have a category, we start putting things in that category. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm I'm instantly curious about like, well, what doesn't quite fit, and like, what right. what, what what doesn't in what in doesn't that, that kind of yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. And I think that 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 tension that um tendency to kind of force things into categories um, is something that you know um, kind of creates some red flags for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think you know partly because of my own experience inside of fundamentalism. Um, I, I see the the potential for harm there, and so um, I have nothing against spirituality as a concept. I just think that it's not the only concept, and when it's when it's presented as like the primary or or the the be all end all concept, I, I think that's where it begins to uh, function in ways that maybe aren't as helpful. Mm-hmm. Right. So obviously, there's um, a lot of religious structures um, in different places other than just you know uh, fundamentalist Christianity mm-hmm. and. And things like that. I, I'm, it, do you see a lot of people in this like deconstruction, unraveling, deeper learning space? Do you feel or do you see people coming from a lot of different religious spaces? Like, is there is there as much happening in Islam or or Hindu practices, or is it predominantly just a Christian thing? So, so I, I think there's a selection bias for for myself personally because you know my background is in. Uh, evangelicalism and and so a lot of folks um, connect with me around that. Um, that being said, uh, the majority of my clients locally here in Boise are former LDS clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with some Jehovah's Witnesses as well, and you know some folks who have been harmed inside of yoga communities, um, other guru kind of based um, settings as well, and so. Um, I, I don't have a sense of what that yeah, what the data sure. looks like, you know, kind of worldwide. Um, and so so I, I would hesitate to, to say for sure, um, because I think here in America, um, you know, just evangelicalism um, has been, you know, so predominant in, in terms of, um, you know, a religious structure that that's harmed people. Um, sure. And so, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's certainly skewed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, the, so let's dive into you with. then, since you do have that. Um, what What was that moment for you? What What did deconstruction look like for somebody that was growing up in religious, in fundamental religious spaces all of their life, and then even attending uh, university for religious yeah. studies? Yeah. So I think f- for me, um, it's hard to point to any one thing, um, and I think that's common among folks who are going through a deconstruction process. It's often a combination of, of, of many factors. Um, you know, looking back, I, I like to say that um, my deconstruction journey was um, primarily fueled by curiosity and compassion. Um, and I came to a place where I could either maintain um, my personal value of compassion um, or I could, um, you know, maintain my religious faith um, as, as, I, as I knew it. And so, um, you know, I think compassion led my led me out of uh, more kind of fundamentalist uh, ways of viewing the world, um, and and so yeah, that, that certainly was um, at the heart of my process. Um, I did do you know some reading and studying and go through that kind of intellectual process. That's mm-hmm. also quite common, um, but for me, it was I don't know that there was more of a relational component to that, um, more of a you know, how can I be the best version of myself that I can be? Yeah. And in realizing that um, black and white, all or nothing, us versus them, um, wasn't um, a viable path for me personally. Yeah. So then, and this is a very, I guess, generic seeming question, but I'm I'm curious as to how you would define a, a spiritual moment. If someone said, you know, that was a spiritual, you know, I had a spiritual experience as someone who has studied it also probably experienced it yourself. Like, is there, do you have like an answer to that now? Or is that something that is just totally fluid? Yeah, I, I can speak to my personal experience. Um, and I would also, um, you know, have a lot of space for other people's personal experiences. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I think um, as part of, you know, growing up inside of the church, there was, there was this need or this desire for a deeper connection um, that wasn't about following the rules or doing what was expected, but was, you know, communing with God or with nature. And so um, as, as a teen, I, I would 
spend time in the mountains behind um, where we lived in in the middle of Pennsylvania and in the, the mountains there and just spend time alone um, and connected with nature. Um, I It felt as if I were trying to commune with God. Um, mm-hmm. But when I zoomed back out from that experience, it was like, yeah, I was just, you know, appreciating nature and, and enjoying um, that, that, that connection. And so um, I, I would have moments that I would describe as spiritual that would, would feel, um, I don't know, a bit transcendent yeah. um, in some way. Um, but it, it's difficult for me to attach that to a being or to even a universal concept of God um, because, you know, I'm, I'm a human um, with language trying to experience the world. And you, I, I don't know that that fits in any you right. know, specific category. And so, so, so I think it would be an example of inside of a, a religious structure and then, you know, witnessing uh, the birth of my, my two boys, um, you know, certainly uh, really powerful experiences that you can't really capture with words. Um, I've, you know, I'm fascinated with um, the, the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. And I think there's, you know, certainly um, transcendent experiences there that we can't quite explain. And yet we have some ideas of, of what's happening in, in the brain when we're you know, transcending categories. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there, I've had many experiences that most folks would <laughs> consider spiritual. Yeah. Um, f- for me, I'm just really fascinated and curious and open about those experiences as opposed to um, wanting to, um, you know, kind of put them into a, a specific category. Yeah. And so, Yeah. I love that. I love it. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that with us. So do you feel like your deconstruction or unraveling or beginning to to seek that out, did that come before your interest in the therapeutic spaces? Or or was it the other way around? Were you already pursuing um, therapy work and then, and then deconstruction happened because of a, a want to understand the world and people more? Yeah, I think there was a bit of overlap. I um, was pretty well through the... The, the main kind of deconstruction process before um, I began to uh, work as a therapist. And so, um, and, and, and initially um, my, well, I'll, I'll just share <laughs> this brief example. I, um, I went through my, my kind of deconstruction process um, and of course it's ongoing and it's, you know, ever unraveling of as course, it were. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I had switched from, seeing the world in very black and white terms to, um, you know, I, I became quite progressive and in, in the way I viewed the world. And, and so I was in, in graduate school when, um, my, my, my wife who knew me towards the end of my deconstruction, um, or, or towards the end of leaving the church. And she said to me one day, you know, Brian, you're still a fundamentalist. You're just fundamentalist about different things. Mm. And I was like, Oh, like, Oof, like that. <laughs> That's wow. true. And it hurts. And and so I need to do something about that. I realized that I had, um, you know, I had new beliefs and ideas um, that were objectively healthier for myself and, and I believe healthier for others. And yet how I was holding to them, I was still holding them tightly. I still was kind of organizing the world and us versus them, you know. And, and so um, that, that began this journey of you know, how can I not only have different beliefs, but how can I approach the world differently? How can I think differently? How can, how can I, you know, enhance psychological flexibility? And so um, that, that was kind of where my personal journey and then my interest in helping folks through deconstruction and then later uh, focusing on religious trauma really began. And so that's when I was, um, fortunately, at that time, I was also introduced to acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT which is a therapy modality that really focuses on, um, you know, undermining the power of our thoughts in terms of, you know, you're more than just your thoughts, you're more than just your, your emotions um, and holding them lightly and connecting to your values. There are just a lot of things within that therapy, uh, therapeutic modality that are really helpful in, in kind of undermining fundamentalism. And, and so, so that began um, my, my journey to not only 
you know, go through that intellectual process of deconstruction, but then also, you know, how can I be different in the world in, in a more flexible ways? And then I was also noticing a lot of um, support groups were forming on the internet at the time um, and, you know, witnessing folks who had swung from one extreme to the other or or felt kind of stuck in this um, living in opposition to their former beliefs yeah. and just the, the suffering that that um, that experience represented. And so, um, so yeah, that that was where my own personal experience and then the experience of others going through this process um, combined with my, you know, professional interest um, really began to coalesce around. I, I want to, you know, offer something to uh, folks going through that process that can be helpful. And, and, and that's when I discovered that, you know, trauma um, is also um, often a, a part of the deconstruction journey um, and also, um, you know, experienced in religious contexts um, and, and, and what that looks like, um, you know, is, is unique in some ways and also um, common in terms of, you know, how trauma presents. And so, um, and then my own experience with adverse religious experiences um, in the church um, certainly influenced that and, and kind of fueled my passion for that work. Yeah. And you spoke, uh, you speak about the difference between religious trauma and um, religious abuse. Can you kind of mm-hmm. just describe the, the differences between the two? Yeah. So I, I think in, in, in general, um, you know, trauma is a fairly new area of research. Of course, we humans have been experiencing trauma since the beginning. And, and, and of course, religious trauma um, has been happening, um, you know, since the beginning of religion as well. Right. However, our our focus on that, um, kind of studying that, um, it, it is fairly is a fairly recent field, and so it, we we used to conceptualize trauma as existing in the traumatic event, um, in the abuse, um, in 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 the event that you experienced, and you know, I think it was after the Vietnam War, the the idea of shell shock, um, kind of the beginnings mm. of PTSD as being formally recognized, um, was you know, really based upon the severity of the event. Um, and if you experience these kinds of events, we would say that, that you've experienced trauma or that you have trauma. Um, what, we're, what we're learning um, as we continue to study trauma is that um, it's this mismatch between um, your internal and external resources and the demand placed on your system. Mm. So when it comes to the difference between religious abuse and religious trauma, um, Abuse is the thing that happened to you, um, and it may be a, a significant single incident event. It might be, you know, um, chronic events over smaller events over a longer period of time um, that overwhelmed your nervous system's ability to to handle that, to um, to kind of move through that. And so, when I think uh, about the difference between those two, I think it's important to to point that out um, because. If, if trauma exists in the event itself, um, then we would assume that, you know, certain doctrines, teachings, practices are kind of universally harmful. And, and the reality is that's just not true. Um, there's a difference between, you know, two siblings who grew up in the same church, uh, the, the same family, and one has more um, access to internal and external resources, and, um, and, and they can... Ex- um, kind of experience the doctrine of hell um, in, in ways that, that don't impact them, that don't overwhelm their nervous system. Uh, uh, their, their siblings sitting next to them in church um, can experience that same exact um, doctrine as, as being quite traumatizing. And so when we recognize that it's, um, you know, our physiological response to the event rather than the event itself, that allows us to have more compassion and understanding for um you know, people's experiences as opposed to um, this more dismissive approach that we often take to religious trauma where maybe believers will say, oh, but, you know, I went to that same church and it wasn't that bad. Mm, right. Or, you know, th- those kinds of um, experiences are quite common with with trauma survivors. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, distinguishing between abuse and trauma um, is helpful. There is some overlap and I think trauma, you know, can mean different things. Um, in different contexts, um, when I talk about religious trauma, I'm speaking more from a, a more more from a clinical perspective, more from a nervous system perspective. Yeah, it, it, 
it's um sorry it's just it's it's very interesting to me to talk about deconstruction uh with the uh, the last couple interviews that we've been in we had talked about more how people really do need religion sometimes that sometimes bringing an idea like a lack of a god or a god that looks nothing like a bible can't be quantified things things like that can be very damaging to an individual that isn't prepared for that kind of um, paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I'm curious in your opinion, is there is there a potential for adverse religious experiences in the context of experiencing deconstruction or or progressive Christianity in that kind of way? Like have you have you seen any of that? Yeah, for sure. I I, I think this the concept of adverse religious uh, re- religious experiences that we've um, kind of Put out into the world, um, it, it is a way of, in some ways, kind of lowering the bar for, um, you know, what kind of produces trauma or creates a context for trauma. And so, if you sp- speak to many uh, folks who have been harmed inside of religious context and maybe you know have actually experienced trauma, and you ask them about their experience, they'll, they'll, they'll say things like, well, that was just what my church was like, or that was what it was like to grow up in my family. They might recount really horrific experiences that, that clearly weren't okay for them. And yet, um, they wouldn't self-identify as, as that being traumatic or, or them experiencing trauma as a result of that. And so, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, us talking about adverse religious experiences, maybe... N- n- None of those individual experiences would would qualify as um, or, or or would result in trauma, but they would place this added demand on that nervous system. Um, and so, I think that does happen inside of fundamentalism. We can see that quite clearly with the amount of um, the power and control dynamics and so forth. Um, but also in in progressive spaces, or when, when folks are going through that transition. Um, like you mentioned, it can be quite disorienting. It can be a lack. It can be a loss of a resource, and and I think through the lens of of developmental trauma or early childhood trauma, um, one of the most challenging things for a nervous system is not just this ongoing abuse that a nervous system can kind of adjust to and adapt to, but it's this combination of, you know your caregiver is a resource for you. They're a, a source of safety and connection, but they're also a source of abuse. Mm. And I think um, that that puts a nervous system in a real bind. Do I move toward this resource or do I move away from the harm? Totally. And, and often that, that can be quite paralyzing. And so, so you can see that um, even though God um, is not a primary attachment figure, um, even as a secondary attachment figure, um, that can be really difficult for a nervous system to to lose that uh, w- without there being something to replace it. And so, yeah, so I, I think that that's certainly, uh, it's more obvious to see it happening inside of fundamentalism because you can point to more specific things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but even that process, when it when it appears to be, you know, relatively healthy from the outside, um, we also want to to be aware of how that is impacting a person's nervous system as they navigate that. Right, because they also may just like fit you know, like they may be fitting the boxes and, and functioning well in the, in fundamentalism. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, that can be harmful just as, as much. I mean, just to hear, so like a, a, a straight white male is going to be able to fit boxes, but as he grows yes. and deconstructs and evolves, he's, he's going to realize like, oh, I, like there's, 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 there's religious abuse within that, even those who once fit in those labels and boxes. Um not to say that it's the equal or not to say that's like the same as somebody who, you know, is is growing up in a fundamental church and is is queer or even as me as a woman, um, the some of the traumas are, are different. The abuse is different, but sure. um, it's it still can be just as damaging. Yeah, there's a difference between survival and safety. And in, in what you're describing is, is a really common experience for folks. You can survive inside of a please and appease or a freeze collapse response indefinitely inside of a, a really toxic and harmful abusive environment. And, and when we mistake that survival for safety, 
um, th- then we might assume like, oh, well, you know, you were a woman in this setting and you didn't have any mm. power or control or autonomy and you had all this pressure placed on you and all these demands placed on your system and your nervous system was living inside of a survival response. Um, you're pleasing and appeasing enough to survive, yeah. but that that that's not the same thing as safety because safety implies a certain amount of, of strength and power, autonomy, ability to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. And, and so I, I think oftentimes uh, when, when folks um, talk about um, or, or view their, their experience inside of religion, they're like, well, you know, it, it was okay. I, you know, nothing terrible happened. I was able to survive. And, and, and then we're mistaking that survival for safety. And um, yeah, that, that those two things are, are quite different as well. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you went into that. And is there, um, is there a point to where you as a therapist or as a coach, where you see people this affecting, because uh, you, you do a lot of, um, of healing through like body center therapy and things mm-hmm. like that. What, what are some, um, physical things that you've seen from people or you've heard from people or you you've noticed a lot of people experience who have had religious trauma. Is there anything that like ties them all together or something that's like a common physical um, ailment or anything like that? Yeah, I, I think there, there are some, some common themes and, and yet also everyone's experience is unique. Um, I, I think um, when it comes to trauma, one of the, um, the common experiences of trauma is is a feeling of powerlessness, um, a feeling of, of of feeling stuck or trapped or disconnected, and and so when we think about what that looks like for folks, um, that can certainly take many forms, um, and that can have many physical presentations, but it might even be something um, as seemingly subtle as this kind of constriction in your 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 neck and throat. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be this feeling of I need to say something, but it's too risky to say something. If I were to express my doubts out loud, would I survive that? Would the community still mm-hmm. accept me? And so, so um, from a nervous system perspective, there's this um, survival response of uh, maybe a, a fight or flight response. You know, there's this aggressive, powerful, I need to say what needs to be said. This is unjust. This isn't right. And then there's this kind of opposing um, response that a nervous system has when it detects that it's not safe enough for us to say what needs to be said or to do what needs to be done. And so it's as if we have the accelerator on and the brake is on at the same time. And so what that feels like internally or in the body is, is often this kind of energetic kind of like, I need to do something. And then this kind of, you know, the brake is slammed on and, and I can't get the words out. I can't it's not safe for me to, to do what needs to be done. Um, and, and that can show up in, in many different physical forms. Um, but there's often that feeling of, of constriction, um, tightness, heaviness around that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you speak on the subtleties and the way that the religious abuse can, can exist. Um, I, cause I think about times even in my own, my own childhood and, um, growing up as a teenager, um, I, I never experienced any kind of physical abuse, but I, I, I think about those, those days, those, those seasons of my life. And I was just a very, very, um, I was a very nervous kid. Um, mm-hmm. I was very like on edge that the thing that you keep on describing, like, am I safe? Like I, yes. that was like a constant, like it, it was always in my head. And, um, it's really, it's really affirming to hear you speak about it and others speak about it. Um, because it's not something that I can kind of point to and be like this big one mm-hmm. moment that this traumatic event happened. And it was just like this ever since I can remember from like a little kid to, you know, I was till re- till recently until the past four years, three years even yeah. where mm-hmm. I have been just on this like nervous, almost like acidic, like taste in my mouth, like scared, mm-hmm. ner- um, not knowing if if I was safe, um, yeah. to either speak my mind or, 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 or speak the, uh, speak up for something or someone mm-hmm. or anyway. So this, I'm just basically saying, I, I appreciate the work, the work that you're doing. And, um, I, I know that it's, there's so many other people that, um, have had similar experiences to me that they can't necessarily point to a yeah. one traumatic experience, but mm-hmm. more along, more along the lines of like, these crumbs all yes. during a big season of their life. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I think a, a common example of that is, you know, even like the doctrine of hell. Um, if, if you were to encounter that as, as a child, like I did, um, you know, it, it might be, we might be tempted to say, well, it's a really horrific idea, um, a story to, to tell small children. And, and I would agree that it is quite horrific. And yet I also realized that I, I read other stories and myths um, growing up that had some really graphic or kind of upsetting imagery inside of them. Yeah. And yet that didn't result in trauma for me. And, and right. so when I think about um, my experience with the doctrine of hell, I use the example of, you know, sitting in a, in a, in a, in a church service as, you know, maybe the, the pastor or the evangelist is, you know, describing hell and, and, and everyone around me is taking it very seriously. And there's this feeling of, I'm not safe here. This isn't okay for me. I need to, I need to escape or I need to defend myself. Mm. And then looking around, realizing I can't escape, mm. I can't defend myself. Yeah. And so, you know, trauma is often the result of, of those kinds of experiences where I needed to do something, but I was unable to. And that unresolved survival um, physiology kind of lives in our body. And so it's not just the, the doctrine of hell. It was that my nervous system went into a survival response and I was unable to follow through with that. And then that lives in our body in this like you're mentioning this kind of under the surface, um, am I safe in the world kind of experience, mm. um, kind of bracing against um, things or, or feeling like I, I don't have the ability to defend and protect myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yikes. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. I mean, for me, like that, that feels like that super, super resonates with me. It's not like yeah. smart words, but it definitely like I, as you were speaking, I could just like feel that it, mm. even in my own body, I was yeah. just like, Oh yeah. Like it, it wasn't even necessarily like, yes, the concept of hell and the concept mm -hmm. of like what being good or, or following the rules or, you know, those things. Yes. It, it was, it was harmful. It was like, oh, okay. That's like hard to deal with, but it was, it was definitely more of, okay, but I don't feel good about this, but I also can't go anywhere. I can't yes, talk about it. Yes, I can't yes. ask questions. I like that. And that's the part that like, whenever I think about that and I imagine me in those moments, that's when I, that's, that's when my heart races, not me yes, thinking about sure. the concept of hell, but it more of me remembering the times when I was, you know, in the rooms with all those people or, or things like that where my, my parents or my whoever the youth group leaders or whoever were kind of there for me mm -hmm. weren't there for me yes yeah they may they may have been physically present but they weren't a resource they weren't a, they weren't standing up for you they weren't defending you from this this horrific um threat that, yeah. that your body was experiencing i i think this also speaks to um something that's really important um, is that we can't de we can't deconstruct ourselves out of religious trauma. Yeah, we can't we can't think ourselves out of trauma right. because it doesn't exist in our mind. It exists it, it 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 exists in our body. And so I think you know an example of of, of how I personally work through this um, you know fear of hell or or this incomplete survival response was um, imagining what it would physically feel like to stand up in that church service. And to say, how dare you mm. speak to me this way? You know, this kind of physical, aggressive pushing away, saying like, no, you will not treat me this way. This is not acceptable. Or getting up and, and, and walking out and like, you will not control me. I, I, I can escape to safety. And then imagining finding a place of safety, a, a place where you are okay, you did escape the threat. And in that, that new physiological experience begins to undermine those old experiences. It's again. It's not something we can think ourselves out of. Um, I, I I discarded the idea of hell long before my body knew mm. that I was safe. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's it's that's why I'm so passionate about bringing this this more nervous system focused approach to religious trauma, um, because especially inside of fundamentalism, everything exists in your mind. It's the thoughts. It's the beliefs. It's the ideas. The concepts. And, and, you know, I think as, as humans with language in general, uh, we tend to live in our minds a lot of the time and, and we lose, lose track of the reality that we are social mammals with nervous systems that evolved to survive. And we need to attend to that in order to feel safe in the world.
Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Wow. I guess I just needed this therapy session. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, uh, I, I really did. And I, and I actually, it made me think of your um, post about how what was it? Our brains don't have erasers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love how in that you talk about how de- deconstruction kind of, it, it functions more as a learning versus an unlearning. Yeah. Um, Cause that's, that's how our brains work and we can't yeah. you know, unlearn anything. Um, yeah. I think that's really interesting before I even, obviously before today, before we spoke and before I kind of learned about a way of kind of reworking a, a, I don't know if that's the right language, but the a situation and kind of retelling a, a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did that with a, a, a specific situation that happened to me, um, something that happened in, in childhood. It was, mm-hmm. and, and my mom, she knows about it and we've talked about it, so it's okay for me to speak about it. But basically, um, I I did that and I, I found out, I like figured out what exactly like my little seven-year-old self needed mm-hmm. that she did yeah. not provide. And yeah. I, and this was, this was what, two years ago? Mm-hmm. It was like two years ago. And um, yeah, and all this time since I was seven, I, I've not known what little me needed. I, I didn't know. Yeah. All I could think about was what yeah. happened and how it felt. And I couldn't figure out yeah. like what little me needed. And And something happened. I don't know. I was just like, I I really don't know what happened, but somehow I kind of figured out what it is that I wish she would have done mm-hmm. and I wish would have happened. And I, I told little me that like yeah. that could have been a reality and that should have been yeah. the reality. And then mm. I, I'm sorry and whatever, but providing like another way out to little mm. me was yes. so healing like i mean it's huge so huge i and i i don't really consider myself to be sometimes i consider myself to be very spiritual sometimes i i i I don't at all but that (laughs) was a to me was what a spiritual experience was because i got to healing is spiritual to me and so i i truly felt like warm i felt like i was i was safe i felt like that moment was just like little me could just like be rescued and hugged Mm. and it was it was just such a good moment so um that was that was before I ever learned of you know your work and uh, what you do and so I'm definitely a firm believer in it because I I did it before (laughs) I ever even knew about it yeah you know I, I think I think we intuitively know how to resolve trauma um if if we can get out of our own way sometimes um you know to 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 you know think about it and to try to rewrite the story or change the narrative. Um, you know, again, we we're, we're enamored with language and we, we, we love to live in our minds, but when we just tune in and listen to little seven-year-old us and what did you need to feel safer, stronger, more connected in that moment? And can I in some way approximate that now in, in the way you're describing that um, it wasn't just that you, discovered what you needed as as a small child but you felt like what it would have felt like to have had yeah. that then and, yeah. and I think that's that new physiological experience that undermines the old one that's the I'm no longer stuck there I I, I can run to safety I can um, get the support and, and and comfort that I need and and there is something you know to me I, I see it through the lens of the nervous system and the body um, which can be quite an exper- a spiritual experience as it were um it, it it's 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 you're not just in your mind you're not just in a story you're, you're very in your body in that experience and um it's incredibly powerful and and and, and so healing uh, to have those new experiences that undermine those old experiences yeah yeah definitely mm-hmm. i could definitely say i can attest mm-hmm. um <laughs> did you have did you have somebody help you work work through that sort of thing for you? I mean, before you became a therapist and a coach, um, I, I, did you have someone that kind of helped you navigate that? I, I, I did at different points. Um, not, 
maybe not in a way that was enough um, mm-hmm. at the time. And so I think anytime um, you have another attuned, caring nervous system, whether they're a therapist, mm-hmm. a friend, yeah. you know, anyone that you're speaking to, when you say, hey, this, this happened to me and a person says, you know, that wasn't okay that that happened to you. And, and, and you sense that they're feeling something of what you felt and, and you're, you're, you're experiencing being seen and heard and, and understood, um, that is incredibly powerful and helpful for you. Um, and so, so I, I did have, you know, some of those experiences along the way. Um, but my, my deconstruction journey happened, you know, I, I, I had been telling people 15 plus years ago, but then I actually did the math today. I'm like, oh my God, it's been over 20 years. Wow. Um, so because I'm old, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, um, so, so there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of support then. And it did feel quite isolating. Mm. You know, um, the internet was, you know, a fairly new thing at the time. And there were, there weren't the groups there are now, there weren't the okay. podcasts there are now. And so it did feel quite isolated, um, for, for quite a while. Um, but, but realizing what I, you know, have discovered over time, like I've, I've, I, I have a, a therapist now who, um, works from a somatic approach and, and we've processed through, um, you know, more layers of, of that trauma. Um, and so, yeah, like I've, I've learned that I need to have that added support around me uh, to process through some of this. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I, I did, it wasn't, I didn't have people going through the journey with me initially. Yeah. Right. It felt like I was, I felt like I was, you know, completely isolated and alone um, mm-hmm. for much of that. Um, but as I, you know, began to connect with other humans who, who were compassionate and caring and would hear my experience without, you know, judging me or dismissing me, um, that was incredibly healing. Um, and then, you know, to be more intentional about that in, in a therapeutic setting um, yeah. has been, you know, life changing for me. Yeah, I love the way one of our friends puts it or put it recently, and that was that a lot of a lot of people who are deconstructing or leaving their faith or rebuilding a new faith that works for them, they they aren't generally accepted back to church spaces. Mm-hmm. They aren't. Yeah. There there isn't a progressive church available for most people, and right. so the internet has been a huge help because because it has become more of a community than a church. It mm-hmm. has there has been a massive surge in this coming around each other and being present for each other mm-hmm. and and being that listening ear even as a stranger being because now we have the opportunity to really vent to somebody who mm-hmm. doesn't know and and to an extent to a healthy extent doesn't care. The ram about the ramifications of mm-hmm. the things that we yeah. believe and the things that we're saying, we have we have unlimited access to that right now. But yeah. once we can move past that and we're moving into these spaces where where we are all having shared experiences and we are all having shared traumas and and yeah. and all of that, um, I think I think we're realizing that the necessity for a space to gather and the necessity to be mm-hmm. in proximity to one another yeah. isn't isn't as necessary as it once was. And I think that's helping a lot with a lot of people deconstructing yeah. and finding that safe space. Yeah, it, it is such a resource. You know, as, as, as Lauren w- w- was sharing uh, that story about seven-year-old you, that that story, as people hear that, you know, as I heard it, I was like, ooh, like I'm, I'm feeling what that was like for me as a kid as well. You didn't go into details, um, but you said enough about it that there's a seven-year-old who needed something that they didn't have. And what is, what is it like to, to show up for, for her now? Um, You you know, there's something about that. Um, We, we, as, as social mammals, we, we, we need each other. We don't heal alone. Um, You know, we've been harmed inside of relationships and it takes relationships to, um, to heal as well. And so it's something like an online community, um, even the podcasts that, you know, people are listening to right now, there's that, um, that, that means something to their nervous systems to hear another nervous system um, show up for themselves. Yeah. And, and there's, there's some potential that maybe I could also experience that for me too. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I love that these resources are, are forming around this. That- it's so helpful. That's what I'm going to call myself from now on. I'm just going to call myself a ner- nervous system talking to another nervous system. <laughs> yes. It's helpful to see the world that way. It, you know, I, I, I can't help but see the world through a trauma lens because I, I'm just, I'm working with it so much. Yeah. But, but, but when you, when you see the world th- that way, um, 
you know, when when my my, my kids are having a hard time, I, I don't instantly assume that they're being willful or that they're, you know, um, that they're bad or they're sinful. I, I, I first assume that they're hungry or that they're tired. <laughs> That's usually and, the and, case and, for me. So. Yeah, yeah. And I began to ask questions like, you know, what does their nervous system need to feel a little bit safer um, in this moment. Sure. And, and and that's such a different approach than, well, you're not following the rules. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. And therefore we need to, you know, make you comply. It's right. like, well, how can we give you what you need in order to comply um, w- without that kind of pressure? And and it's, yeah, for me, it's life-changing to, to see the world through that lens. Gosh, yeah. I love that so much. I can't wait to like listen back through this and just just dive deeper and continue to follow you and to, I don't know, this has just been very, like a very um, mm-hmm. healing conversation for me. Uh, I know specifically, and I'm sure for so many people who are listening and, and you, now you do this for others and this is what you do. So you're a therapist and a coach. Um, what does that look like? You know, if anyone's listening and they're, they're interested in working with you, how do they go about doing that? And what coaching yeah. versus therapy, like, what does that look like? For sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm licensed here in Idaho where I live. And so um, to do therapeutic work with me, um, you would have to be physically present in Idaho. Sure. Um, that, that's just the way the, the, the laws work yeah. um, with licensure and so forth. Um, as far as uh, trauma-informed coaching goes, um, I'm able to to do psychoeducational um, focused work, uh, more forward focused um, and you know, bringing more awareness to religious trauma. Um, I think about 70% of my coaching clients um, have their own therapist, that they're doing that more mm-hmm. um, clinically focused, resolving trauma type work. And and often they have a really good therapist um, who is able to help them through that trauma piece, but doesn't understand religious trauma as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, coaching is, is a great way to, um, you know, kind of bridge that gap a bit. Um, also, um, because I'm really passionate about this topic. Um, a colleague, uh, Laura Anderson and I um, mm-hmm. founded the the Religious Trauma Institute yeah. um, a little over a year ago. And, and our, our primary focus initially is to um, provide clinical training to therapists so that they can better um, serve their clients who have experienced religious trauma. And then also providing um, psychoeducational resources and support for, um, um, for survivors. Um, and then we, we just launched the collaborative research group. And so graduate students and university labs and so forth are, are, are collaborating there on, around, you know, doing research on religious trauma. Um, and then we're also working on some harm reduction resources for uh, religious communities as well. And so um, you certainly can, you know, reach out to me if, if, you, if, if coaching would be helpful Um and, and also, um, I can help you connect with other therapists who um, maybe may live in your state uh, where we can get, get the, you know, that more clinically focused um, support as well. And so, yeah, our, our goal is to have, you know, therapists in every state and, you know, around the world um, who understand religious trauma and are able to, to treat that um, so that survivors can get the support that they need. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. I can't wait to share it with everyone. And we'll have all your information, of course, in the bio, the about section of the podcast. So if you're listening, please check that out so you can get all the resources. Um, And yeah, Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was just so wonderful speaking with you. Mm. Oh, it's definitely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, Check out the stuff in the bio. And until next time. Bye.